0: From Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I wrote the first volume, Theophilus, about all that Yeshua began to do and teach, up to the day he was taken up, after he had given orders by the Ruach HaKodesh to the emissaries he had chosen. To them he showed himself to be alive. After his his suffering through many convincing proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, while staying with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John immersed with water, but you will be immersed in the Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they gathered together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not your place to know the times or seasons which the Father has placed under his control, but you will receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and throughout all Judah and Samaria and to the end of the earth. After saying all this while they were watching, he was, taking, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. While they were staring into heaven as he went up, suddenly two men stood with them in white clothing. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you keep standing here staring into heaven? This Yeshua who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Shabbat day's journey. When they had entered, they went went to the upper room where they were staying Peter and John, and Jacob and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, Jacob, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of Jacob. All these with one mind were there, continuing together in prayer along with the women and Miriam, Yeshua's mother, and his brothers.
1: For so often, I consider a passage and a message of Scripture, and uh, I feel like I'm about to dive into a bottomless ocean. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, So I want to start with a word of prayer, and uh, let's... Encourage folks who are just coming in to close the door, and uh, we we'll start with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for the awesome and uh, amazing word that you have for us each and every day, but particularly when we come together. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you're eager. To, sp- to speak to us, and you know our frequency, and uh, so we simply pray, Lord, that you would sensitize each of us to the things that you want us to take away, so that we can take and apl- apply and learn and grow by the things you have to say to us, as has been the case all along today. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. If you've been here for the last few Shabbatot, you'll know that what we've been doing has been um, uh, sort of a prelude to Shavuot. um, Beginning, first of all, with preparation for the festival of harvest, which is what Shavuot began and Rabbi David spoke about the counting of the Omer, the Sefirat Omer, uh, which simply means that each and every day you you count the uh, the forty nine days between uh, the first fruits in Passover until Shavuot. And for us, this has been symbolic of how that God teaches us some basic lessons about patient faith. Not something that we specialize in. In fact, something that we tend to be allergic to. You know, patience. Nah. And um, then we also looked at the fact that, uh, according to the rabbis, and they're probably right, that uh, the Torah, God's law, um, as given through Moses, was given on Mount Sinai on Shavuot as well. And we focus there on the multi-purpose power of the Word of God. How that it does all kinds of things in our life, depending on what it is that we need for a given moment. Somehow, God is able to take His Word and zap us in such a way that we need to be zapped. And, and uh, last Shabbat, Rabbi David again uh, preached on our preparing for the coming of the Spirit of God, um, and which, by the way, is an ongoing prayer for us at Yeshua Zion, is for God to pour out His Ruach, uh, His Spirit upon us, more so um, than what we have experienced before. And um, today we will be looking at still a prelude uh, to the outpouring of the Spirit in Chapter 2. And I also wanted to remind you that Shavuot is also a, a time for us to prepare for what is yet to come. Because it, as a harvest festival, it it points us to the fact that Messiah will come and he will establish his kingdom here and we're going to be in a totally different situation um, realm of reality. I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to that. As, as things are getting mishugi er um, the prospect of Yeshua coming are looking better and better. Not that I'm looking for an escape hatch, because the Lord tells us to be busy, but um, his, the prospect of His coming is encouraging and gives us focus. So, uh, today we're going to talk about the presence activity of the Holy Spirit, which is something that, by all rights, should take several weeks or months. So, please give me all kinds of chesed, knowing that we're not going to cover anything and everything that you might be interested in. But, I wanted to begin with a basic uh, poke a little bit of gentle poking um in the notion that a lot of believers have that the spirit of god the ruach kodesh was in the bahamas until acts chapter 2 did you know that you didn't the basic the basic premise goes something like uh the holy spirit was um Uh, occasionally landed on an individual, filled him or her, gave him all kinds of power, left him alone, and then zapped to somebody else, and then took off for parts unknown for a while, um, Bahamas perhaps, uh, until Acts chapter 2, in which we have a massive outpouring of the Spirit of God. I don't know if you have heard that. Uh, I certainly have heard something similar. Not necessarily with Bahamas, but... um, And so part of the challenge for us when we consider um, our need to be filled with the Spirit of God and what that looks like on a practical level, we have all kinds of malarkey that we have to kind of swim through. Um, And folks who are on the more intensely charismatic end of The body of Messiah typically would say something like, unless you see all kinds of exciting manifestations, then the Spirit of God is not there. And I've actually had folks say to me, the Holy Spirit is not at Yeshua Tzion. And and I I thought to myself, okay, uh, Yeshua says, wherever two or three gather together in my name, I am there. So if Yeshua is there, uh, where is the Holy Spirit? Someone help me here. Um, Then on the other ditch are the folks that look at the excesses of the charismatic movement and are reactive or hyper-reactive to it and say, well, you know, let's de-emphasize the Spirit of God. Yeshua calls on us to keep the commandments and that's what we need to do. And, um, you know, let's not talk about the Holy Spirit. I've, I've seen both excesses. I've probably spent some time in one of those ditches. Um, but as I've been digging into Scripture, what, what has grabbed me is the simple reality that the Spirit of God has been at work from creation up until now. I know you say, well, okay, that's not nuclear physics. Well, yes, it is. Because people really don't realize that the Spirit of God was actively involved with the nation of Israel. And I wanted to read to you several statements that will highlight that. And... If you if you have some paper, you can just jot those rather than turn. Uh, we see one very powerful example of that during the time of Haggai and Zechariah. Uh, that, as you might recall, was in the 6th century when the people of Israel, when the, primarily the people from Judah came back from Babylon and were building the temple and then got distracted and... Hindered, etc., etc., and they were they got busy doing other things. And God sent Haggai and Zechariah and um, to to kind of prod him, you know, use a cattle prod. And so, in chapter one, we see that this, the the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Shell and and the other folks, um, the remnant of the, the whole people they came, began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. So, obviously a hint that the Holy Spirit was stirring people. Um, Then in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, But now be strong, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenant with you, When you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. This is roughly about 800 years or so after the Torah was given. um, and, And the Lord speaking through Haggai to the people says to them, Hello, you're not on your own. You have been empowered by my spirit who is active, and so consequently you need to get on, on the stick and finish the work. Um, we also see that in the later cha- one of the later chapters in Isaiah, and I wanted to read a couple of verses to you, uh, chapter 63, verse 9 to 11. In all their distress, he too was distressed, and the angel of his presence, literally the, the angel of his face, Panim, saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. Yet, they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Now, I know we often refer to the Spirit of God as an it, sort of like an electric force. You know, you plug into the outlet in the right place and, and you get power. Um, This is one of the places here in the Tanakh that speaks about the Spirit of God being engaged with people personally and emotionally. Um, Continuing verse 11, then the people recall the days of old, the days of Moses and his people, and they said, where is he who set his Holy Spirit among them? In other words, at least on a part of some of the folks in Israel, there was the grasp of the fact that the Spirit of God had been at work with them all along. Now you say, huh? Well, this is before Shavuot, before Pentecost, and so on. Well, think about this. First of all, you have prophets proclaiming the word of God for hundreds of years. From the time of Moses to Isaiah's time, roughly about 800 years. God sends these people over and over and over and over and over again. Isaiah specifically was proclaiming the word of God for about 60 years. Now, where did the prophes- his prophecy come from? From his overactive imagination? No. They came because he was filled and driven and motivated by the spirit of God and he spoke what it is that God wanted him to say as directed by the spirit. So you had this ministry of the spirit of God throughout hundreds of years in Israel through dozens and dozens of prophets and that's just through the prophets. Then if you're familiar with how the the tabernacle was constructed, You know that Bezalel, who was the master contractor, was filled with the Spirit of God and given all kinds of supernatural ability to be able to do his job and oversee the construction of the tabernacle. Then, of course, as was mentioned earlier, Samson. Now, everybody thinks of Samson as Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, I don't see... Samson as an Arnold Schwarzenegger. The the impression you get is that he was an average guy. And then somehow, the the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of God came on him and and you have this massive transformation and he's able to do all these incredible things. Then, of course, you have David. From the time that Samuel came and, and poured the oil on him, He was anointed with the Spirit of God from that time until the end of his life. This is 1 Samuel 16, 13. And he understood that this was part of his life. He said in chapter 51, which is the penitential psalm, Lord, don't take your spirit away from me. And even with Moses, you know, you you don't think about Moses in relation to the Spirit of God, because you think of Moses as the lawgiver. But in Numbers chapter 11, Moses is responding to his um, aide-de-camp, probably Joshua, and saying, uh, what had happened was that a whole bunch of people started prophesying. And at least a couple of them were unauthorized and... So there was the concern. These guys are doing something that's not authorized. And Moses says, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's peoples were prophets and the Lord would put his ruach upon them. In other words, there is a desire on, on his part to see to it that what he had, the supernatural awesome presence of God through the Spirit would be something that would be poured out on the entire nation. It's kind of like a desire or maybe a hint. And then as as you go through scripture, as you go through the Tanakh, you go from a hint or a desire to a prediction in a couple of places. Let me just read to you Isaiah 44 I will pour out water on thirsty land in streams on dry ground i will pour out my spirit on your offspring and blessing on your descendants that's it. then ezekiel 39:29 i will no longer hide my face from them i will pour out my spirit on the house of israel declares the sovereign lord then of course there's joel chapter 2 which is quoted in uh, by peter in chapter 2 of of acts. Afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters, your young men and old men, millennials and boomers, <laughs> will prophesy. In other words, at some point in the future, these prophets are saying that what was happening with individuals and what was happening corporately that the Spirit of God was working with a nation is going to spread out and impact the entire people. And this is something that God predicted was going to happen, first of all, with the nation of Israel. And so I emphasize that because when we come to Acts chapter 2 what you often hear people say, Acts chapter 2 was the beginning of the church. Well, yes and no. First of all, the Holy Spirit was poured out on whom? 99% of the folks who were at Acts chapter 2 were Jewish. And that continued to be until we come to uh, the household of Cornelius. My point simply is, God had been working all along here with the nation of Israel, corporately, through the prophets and through other individuals. And then at some point, he's saying, you know, what I have is going to bust wide open and is going to spread not only with individuals or even with the nation as a whole, but it's going to impact people generally. And we need to remember that the New Covenant, which we find in Jeremiah chapter 31 and in Ezekiel chapter 36, which we recite every Shabbat, I hope you are paying attention as we are reciting it, right? Okay, Um, it speaks about God making a new deal with the nation of Israel then was expanded and made an impact on all nations, period resulting in a worldwide body of believers, which has been called the church, the congregation, and so on. But God's work, first of all, began with Israel and has to continue with Israel. Why? Simply because he's consistent. He's consistent. He doesn't take a person and says, I will work with you, and then, oops, I'm sick to death of you, I'm going to pitch you and take somebody else. Aren't you glad about that? Because at any given time, on any given day, I think I give God at least one excuse to be sick and tired of me. And yet I'm grateful that he is consistent, he is faithful, and in Jeremiah chapter 31, which is the covenant promise to Israel, he says, As long as the sun is shining, I'm committed to you. Folks, you can take that kind of statement to the bank. And so part of the picture is God's supernatural power at work in the nation of Israel, not because they're cute and clever. But because we have, we who are part, physically part of Israel, we have a job to do. And everybody else who has been brought in, grafted in, so to speak, also shares the, shame, the same job. And that is to be a light to the nations. And we can't do it on our own. We have to, we have to be empowered by the Ruach, by the Spirit. And Scripture tells us, predicts, that the Lord's servant, i.e. the Messiah, when he comes, would be also anointed and driven by the Spirit of God. Now, you might be listening to all this and say, okay, that's very nice about Israel and even about Yeshua, but I have things to do. Well, the things that you and I have to do is the Father's business you know when we get that then the things that we want to do actually get done until we get that then we are grinding our wheels you know how it is in with cars that have manual transmission you try to shift and you try to shift and there's something wrong with the clutch and it doesn't quite go in it's kind of the way it is when we are committed to, do, to doing the Sinatra Doctrine, I did it my way. And at some point we get the fact that our life is not about our stuff. Our life is about God's stuff. That we can't do it unless we are driven and filled and directed and motivated by the Spirit of God. God. That doesn't mean once in a while when we have this unusual, ecstatic experience where God comes and zaps us every 15 years whether we need it or not. The Word of God tells us that we need to be continually filled with the Spirit of God. In Ephesians, Paul says, states the following it's an instruction it's not a suggestion if you feel like it keep on being filled with the spirit of god so we see that with yeshua that somehow god incarnate needed to have the spirit of god upon him and of course you know that that took place when he was immersed The Spirit of God came upon him. Then he was sent to the desert to be tempted. Don't you love it? God empowers you and then says, I have an experience for you. But Yeshua's life and everything he did was driven by the power of the Spirit. And he knew that. He understood that. Remember when he got up, as James read to us earlier, the passage from Isaiah chapter 61, Yeshua comes to his hometown synagogue, stands up, and they give him the scroll of Isaiah, and he flips around, finds chapter 61, and reads it and says, folks, this is about me. So either he was full of chutzpah, or he was speaking reality. And Yeshua was filled with the Spirit, and yet he knew that there would come a time when the Spirit of God would be poured out. In a way that would impact people in a way that is greater than had been before. So when we talk about the coming of the Spirit, it isn't that the Spirit of God was someplace vacationing. We're talking about degrees of activity. And so we talk about being filled with the Spirit, being immersed with the Spirit, and so on and so forth. All of that had to do with how much are you willing to let God direct you by His Spirit? How much are you willing to give control to Him? Are you willing to give Him the keys to every single room in your house? Or do you say, God, you're welcome here because this is spiritual and everything else is mine there's no trespassing sign, which is kind of foolish to to say to God, isn't it? Maybe you still believe that you want to have a no trespass no trespassing sign that you hang out f- for God to see. So Yeshua knew that what was taking place with him would have to be translated or become reality in all who followed him, his disciples. Makes perfectly good sense because as the rabbi is, so are his disciples. And we are Yeshua's disciples, some of us. So he stood up on the festival of Sukkot, Tabernacles. and There was a special ceremony called the drawing of water where they would come and take water from the spring outside the city and there will be a procession and they would pour it at the base of the altar. It's a big, big, big shindig. And on the last day, Yeshua stood up and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from, from within him. By this... He meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. There was something that was going to be happening. Rabbi David referred to the farewell speech that Yeshua gave at the last Passover, so I will not go over that. But I'd like to encourage you to read it and see that Yeshua consistently talks about the fact that the role of the Spirit of God is communication. Huh? Well, God somehow has to communicate to us and we somehow have to communicate to others. So the Spirit of God is primarily tasked with guiding us into all truth. Now let's pause for a minute and think about that. What that means is that you and I are not expected to sit there and figure things out. I know that's highly un-American. And you may be in a profession where you're expected to figure things out. However, as far as our reality with God, we simply have to depend on Him to lead us and show us by His Spirit what needs to happen to lead us into all truth. So, all this was a long, 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 long introduction to chapter 1. Yeshua tells the disciples to wait for the gift of the Spirit, uh, the the coming of the Spirit in greater power. And the disciples say to Yeshua, Yeshua, are you, at this point, going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I know everybody and their mother likes to poke fun at the disciples at this point and say, Yeshua's talking to you about God's power, and you're talking politics. What's up with that? Because we think that what they're saying is, are you going to get rid of the bums, the Romans? And what we need to remember is that Scripture talked about two things happening at the end time. God would pour out the Spirit and He would bring about restoration. So Yeshua is talking about the Spirit of God being poured out. So naturally, they're thinking about part two of the package, right? Right? Are you going to restore Israel? Yeshua's response to them is M-Y-O-B. Mind your business. It's not your business to figure out the calendar of how things are going to happen. It's The father's business and you must be busy about the father's business. And I'm going to spend the last few minutes on verse, verses 7 and 8 of chapter 1 here in Acts. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates, but you will receive power. Not so that you can dance around, bop around and demonstrate how that you have all these wonderful supernatural gifts and manifestations, but you will receive power so that you will be witnesses for me. Now, what does it mean to be a witness? Think about that. Legally, a witness is someone who gives evidence in court. And so for us to be witnesses means that we, you and I, give evidence in the court of world opinion that God is worthy to be worshipped. That the God that we follow is not just some faith that we have embraced, but that he is a reality. Yeshua put, put it this way. Let your light shine, that men may see your good works, and praise your Father in heaven. In other words, what you and I are to do with our life is not to live life in our agenda, our strategy, what should define our life, is our commitment to see to it that people see reflected in us the presence of God. Reflected. And what we see in the book of Acts as you read it over and over and over and over again where you see the fullness of the Spirit, the Spirit of God working big time, what you see is people are empowered to speak the word of God boldly. Not stupidly, but boldly. Freely, without fear, without being self-consumed. And you know how it is, sometimes when you want to share Yeshua with people who don't know him, you kind of go, um, well, let's see, the Broncos, yeah. Oh, I wasn't supposed to talk about the Broncos, supposed to talk about Yeshua, well, Okay. Um, we feel so horribly inadequate and insecure in our ability to communicate the goodness of Yeshua to people. And that's okay if we don't stop there. However, the next step then is to say, Lord, I don't have what it takes. I need for your spirit to give me the power and the wisdom, all of that, To be able to communicate the good news of Yeshua to somebody. And to point our noses in that direction. It kind of played out for us. We had neighbors on one side who were absolutely mishugi. You know, they had wild parties and so on and so forth. And then on this side... Somebody sold a house, and we we're thinking, "Okay, Lord, please, don't bring somebody who's going to do crazy, wild parties on this side as well." And and yet, I felt like the Lord was proud of me to to take a, a different approach, you know, like maybe more about God instead of us. And so I started to pray that God would bring people who, to whom we can share the good news of Yeshua with. And that's been happening. We have wonderful neighbors. We've had some opportunities to talk to them about spiritual things. One of the neighbors happens to be Jewish, so it kind of helps, you know. (laughs) Well, we simply go on about our business in faith that what the Father's business will get done And we pray, Lord, open doors. You know, I don't know what to say at any any given time. I mean, I kind of know who the neighbors are, but you know them. And remember that as the Spirit of God is engaged with us, part of the process is that we're given power, wisdom, and all of that to be able to communicate the good news of Yeshua to people who desperately need to hear and need to receive and need to receive eternal life. The stakes are very high, folks. And yet, we're sometimes like the, like the disciples. Yeshua g- gets beamed up and we stand there and go, Huh? And the angels come and say to them, Okay, enough already. You have business, and they come back to Jerusalem, which was a Shabbat day's walk to the upper room. And they're not sitting strategizing, doing prophetic charts and so on and so forth. They're there praying and waiting. Waiting. And this has been something that, at least for me, and I, I know it is for the rest of us who are active here at Yeshua Tzio, there's been the passion to see the power of God displayed in us and through us, not because we need some cute tricks from God, but because we have a sense of urgency to see people touched and changed, us changed, and, and transformed, but to see people around us touched by the power of God. Amen. And no, it doesn't mean that we have everything that we're supposed to have and so on and so forth in and of ourself. But what it means is that we're motivated because we have a sense of urgency, because we know that Yeshua's coming And the world is becoming less and less godly. And we don't want to park on that. We don't want to emphasize that. We don't want to curse the darkness. We want to hold up the light. And that is absolutely essential for us to be tuned into our need to be driven and motivated by the Spirit of God. Let me just finish with this story. A number of years ago, Joey and I were in Florida visiting some friends. And uh, if you've been around folks who are in ministry, you know that every so often people go through burnout. You know, you just kind of get spent. And uh, our friends us, invited us to come to a, uh, a special meeting. It was during the time of the so-called Holy Ghost laughter. And uh, we came there wanting to receive something from God and what we received was a circus environment. And uh, we're looking at this and saying, oh Lord, this is, uh, whatever is going on, uh, it's hard to see where you are and i realized afterwards that you know you can't play the, the role of the righteous judge god knows people's hearts but you know the focus was on people busting out in laughter for some bizarre reason and the person at the pulpit was saying look at this guy he is just he is a uh, anglican clergyman and he is stuffy but now he is Etc., etc. So, you know, experiences like that can cause you to become somewhat cynical. However, the more you read and study the Word of God, the more you come away gripped with the fact that you and I can do absolutely zip for God unless we are filled and led and directed and empowered and driven by the Spirit of God like Yeshua was. Amen. Some of that you may find unsettling because there's a part of you that says, okay, God, if I welcome your Spirit to come and lead me and do all these things, will I become a blithering idiot? Will I swing from a chandelier? Or you can say, God, you love me, you know me, you have good plans for me. Your purpose is not for me to be humiliated and look like a complete idiot. Your purpose for me is to do the work of your kingdom. And I want to be about your business. And I can't do it unless you give me more of your spirit. So has the Spirit of God been here? You betcha. You know, as we worship the Lord, song and music and the Torah service and the Word, we know the Spirit of God is here, but we want more. Amen. We want more. Because the Lord has work for each one of us to do. And for us as a congregational mishpacha, we want to be about His business. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we are, we want to be serious about fulfilling the commandments you have given us on this Shavuot. We acknowledge, Lord God, that it is utterly impossible for us to do so in and of ourself. And we thank you, Lord God, that you have Put your spirit within us, and that you empower us to follow and to obey you by your spirit. I pray for each one of us, Lord. You know where we are, you know our view and our perspective about any and all of this, Lord pray that you'd stir us by your spirit. Cause us to be motivated, Lord God, to be about your business. To recognize that can only be done when your spirit fills us and leads us. We pray, Lord God, for each one of us to experience a greater measure of that fullness. We pray, Lord God, that You would accomplish your awesome, your niflaot, your wondrous work in us. As we turn our faces towards you. We ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.